Hi, it's Katie here. I'm in Japan right now, leading one of my sold out Japan study trips. And I'm already getting excited about coming back in November with another cohort. I'd love to host you in Japan in November. It's an incredible opportunity to spend time with Toyota leader Isao Yoshino and learn from him and many other Japanese leaders about how to create cultures of excellence, plus, experience the amazing culture and food, and get an immersive week learning with other amazing leaders from around the world. It really is the trip of a lifetime. If you've ever thought of elevating your leadership to the next level, join me in Japan this November. I'm actively accepting applications now, and the trip is filling up rapidly. To learn more, Go to kbjanderson.com slash japantrip. Now, on to the show. How'd you like a powerful new superpower that is so simple, yet will transform your impact? Open doors to the C-suite to get you a seat at the table with a voice that's heard about your vision for creating a leader-led learning culture and amplify engagement across your organization while delivering more results. Then you won't want to miss this episode. Welcome to Chain of Learning, where the links of leadership and learning unite. This is your connection for actionable strategies and practices to empower you to build a people-centered learning culture, get results, and expand your impact so that you and your team can leave a lasting legacy. I'm your host and fellow learning enthusiast, Katie Anderson. In the last episode, episode nine, I shared with you my eight-part change catalyst model that shows you how to pair your technical know-how with power, influence, and relational competencies to become a transformational change leader. Today, I want to move beyond theory into action about how to practically develop these skills and the impact they can make on your influence and leadership effectiveness, your career, and your life. To help me with this, I'm excited to bring Sean Carner onto Chain of Learning. Sean is the Director of Operational Excellence at Genentech, part of the Roche Group, one of the world's largest biotechnology companies and he has gone on this journey of transformation with me for over seven years. Sean's worked at Genentech since 2005 and has been in an operational excellence leadership role at the Vacaville site since 2017. In addition to his Six Sigma Master Black Belt, Sean has a degree in marine biology and an MBA and is a certified master scuba instructor. I've known Sean since 2017, when I was first invited to support Roche's senior leadership team in Basel, Switzerland, at a site head summit. And since then, Sean and I have partnered together in many ways to help him make a personal transformation and also lead his organization's transformation to a leader-led culture of learning. Sean joined me in 2019 on one of my executive Japan study trips and has been part of many of my leadership coaching and training programs. And recently, I helped Sean bring in many of the messages you'll hear him talk about today into his organization through a series of leadership workshops. Sean is a strong link in my chain of learning, and it's been a pleasure partnering with him to discover his leadership superpower and subsequently amplify it across the organization. I can't wait for you to be equipped and inspired by what Sean did to become a transformational change catalyst and how it's become a superpower for him that sets him apart from his peers. We started off our conversation exploring how Sean got started in his professional journey from being a technical, tool-based, operational excellence practitioner with a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt to becoming an accomplished change catalyst and leader at a large global organization. Let's dive right in. Genentech and Roche have been on a, really the manufacturing part of the business has been on a lean journey for the third time, I would say. Probably a lot of your listeners will 
connect with multiple iterations at that. So since 2017, we started this lean production system that we were going to deploy. Uh, and that was about the time that I took on the leadership uh, role here at Vacaville. I came from being a operational excellence, you know, go solve the problem, fly around the world for a particular problem and, and go try and fix it, right? Whether that was value stream mapping or Kaizen events, kind of your typical approach. And this journey that the company has been on was really meant to be an approach that, that leaders led the way. So not a consultant-led approach and not a operational excellence-led approach. And so as I took on this new role as a site leader, I was starting to think, okay, how am I going to show up differently in that role? And one of the things I wanted to do was become a coach, a better coach, because that's what I was going to do. I was going to be the primary coach for the site leaders. And I said, okay, so how, how am I going to do that? And, and try to do that intentionally first by kind of working on myself to do that. But I really didn't know how exactly I was going to do that because oftentimes we talk about lean coaching, but what is that, right? And when I came to the site, I, I tried the coaching kata as the primary approach to that. And we had some good success. I think people, leaders especially, found, you know, the kata questions as a as a way to engage in coaching, but we didn't have the, the rest of the framework. And so it was a little bit uh, strained, you know, when a leader would show up at the Gemba and say, what's your target condition? Employees look around like, uh, I don't know, right? So people were doing it very robotically, if you will. It's like, okay, how, how am I going to take this, this approach? And, and really the, a lot of what we were doing was um, a tool forward lean deployment approach. Um, and that also uh, wasn't necessarily resonating. Yeah. And for listeners who may not know what uh, the kata is that Sean's referring to, it kata is a Japanese word that means routine or pattern of behavior. It's often used in martial arts to talk about the different routines that you practice and then put together. And Mike Rother developed the what he's called the Toyota kata or the improvement kata and the coaching kata, all about how do you create problem-solving capabilities in organizations. And there are some starter questions that he has, which have become really famous and known as, you know, the, the improvement kata, which is what Sean was referring to. So leaders taking a card out and literally like reading those five questions, but maybe it sounds like they didn't have the context behind it about what they were really trying to do or, or the people they were asking the questions to. And I mean, I really believe that leaders lead the way by being first. And so it's like, okay, if I'm going to lead this, I should be good at the coaching kata. That was sort of the, the approach we were, were thinking at. But really using that framework to say, okay, I'm going to experiment with how my coaching conversations are going, you know, looking at the obstacles that I was getting in the way. And I was really trying to shrink down those little experiments. So I would put each coaching conversation down as one of the experiments that I would do. And so that was maybe the the little beginning of self-reflection, if you will. I At that time, I was really doing a weekly kind of reflection, but I would look at each of these activities uh, with a leader and say, well, how'd that conversation go? Well, I kind of got stuck in the middle. Um, and so didn't really necessarily know how to progress that coaching capability, if you will. 
You know, as you think back about seven years now, what was that spark or catalyst that really made you realize that there was something more that you needed to do or change to be in yourself to create the broader impact that you wanted in your organization? Uh, yeah, for moving this, being more this technical, you know, really good expert, operational excellence person to becoming this better coach and catalyzing broader organizational change. Yeah, initially it goes back to when I was still a network OE practitioner and we were starting this journey down this new lean production process and I was meeting with senior leaders, but you know, I might I don't know, fly to Germany, meet with a leader for a week on a particular project. We'd make a little bit of progress uh, towards that trust coaching relationship. But then of course I'd be like, okay, this problem is moving forward. I'm, I'm off to the next one. And I was seeing that then maybe six months later, I'd come back and, and try and redo that that conversation, but there maybe hadn't been progress in the interim time. And so that was also part of my impetus to say, maybe if I came to a site and was, you know, the site leader for this, I could have this ongoing coaching conversation. So that was the first piece, sort of the, uh, as you call it, the impetus or the spark. But then with my OE team here, we took it, took a, created a coaching program, if you will, uh, that was maybe a little too old forward uh, upon reflection, but we were like, okay, how are we going to do this? Because each of, of, of them was going out and coaching uh, leaders deeper in the organization. So we needed a framework and we based it around the, the you know, Mike Rothers uh, Kata approach. But that was really kind of the, the, I guess, the kindling, if you will, that I was using to, to say, okay, I need to get better myself in, in how to do that coaching. It's such a powerful insight, right, to know that we need to start with ourselves and have that humility to say that if I want to coach people to be coaches, we also need, I need to look at myself and how am I doing that myself. You know, I was really intrigued when we were talking in advance of this recording, you know, Sean, you'd mentioned to me that because you have really taken on this practice of reflection and more deeply, not just those weekly reflections, but much more regular reflection, you're able to go back and like look at your notes from years ago and sort of look at your journey here. So talk about the power of reflection and writing down that intention and reflection has been for you in your own transformation journey and, and becoming more impactful. For me, it started, I had a mentor who recommended journaling, you know, and it felt a little awkward at first, but uh, I was like, okay, well, I can fill a, a page or so in a, in a little uh, notebook with, you know, how the week went and, and what I was looking forward to next week. That was sort of the two questions uh, that I, I generally use. And then as I was doing more coaching of individuals, it was a place to sort of, okay, this was the conversation that I just had with whoever, right? The head of manufacturing or something like that. And a place to sort of capture that ongoing conversation, because as you well know, the coaching conversations spread over multiple sessions. And if you have a lot of people that you're coaching, they kind of get jumbled together. So that was part of it. But also uh, I was in a new role. I was now a, a, a leader, a senior leader, site leader. Uh, and I was, you know, in a way trying to learn about what I was doing. And for many years, I I'd always had this sort of reflection bias, if you will. And just putting it down on, on paper was is actually very useful for exactly what you said, you know, looking back and saying, oh, wow, I did. I have grown quite a bit over time. I must say, since meeting you, it's now been even more intentional as a you know learning activity that that is the main piece. I think you you always say that 
that learning begins with the reflection uh, piece of that. And, and so I think that's a, it's a tool, right? But it is a, a, a behavior, if you will, um, to, to do. Well, right. Well, we need the tools, right? To, to the tools support the practice, but the tools without purpose or understanding of why they're being used and what they're used for, then that's where the, the challenge comes in, as you talked about before. But that, that structure for practice or the tools to enable practice, that's where the, the power of tools really come in. But if we only lead with tools and not all the other understanding of the reason why, then, <laughs> then it's like we're, we're just hitting the hammer. But, you know, for, for what, what reason, we don't really need to be putting in a nail. You know, I was reflecting too, Sean, about what you said about the amount of time it takes to really coach, you know, that you're flying around the world, coaching a leader, and then maybe six months later coming back. And I see this a lot in the other clients I work with as well, uh, who especially have global sites and their their coaches are spread thin. I think the power also is that you've been able to be there and your team there and like walk by, you know, on the side with the leaders to really develop those daily practices what have you seen as the, you know, having shifted from this more sporadic flying in and out and sort of solving, helping solve the problems and maybe a little bit of coaching to really being there on the site? Uh, how has that type of role shifted your ability to really influence change? It's in some ways easy to look back over seven years and be like, wow, we've come a long way. But when you're in it day to day, it just seems like a constant slog that you're not really making much progress and uh, lots of different conversations, right? But there's definitely some, from what I've had, good stories or experiences that sort of energize me where I see leaders, you know, today as a, for example, creating their A3s without being asked or even necessarily supported by an OE professional. Seven years ago, it was, A3 was, was a, you know, a tool, a technique that was only practiced by uh, an OE professional when there was a project we're going to kick off and we're going to do this project charter. One of my uh, employees, Jason, always talks about that a coach's gemba is someone's mind. And so how how can you see that that thinking, if you will, without asking questions? And, and I know I think in Isayo, uh, Yoshino, and John Shook's discussions around A3, they always talk, also talk about that, right? Like, how do you know where to coach unless someone writes it down? So in, in many ways, that A3 thinking uh, approach, I think it has been a, an artifact, if you will, of the lean culture that we're able to see now. But through that period of coaching, it was really a lot of behavioral observations. My team would go to people's huddles and count up how many questions they were asking and then come back and provide that feedback to the individual, which it originally may have seemed odd to people. And I feel like since that time, my own coaching of people has really evolved quite a bit. It's not so mechanical uh, in that sense, right, of like counting up the number of questions. It's it's more asking good questions of them. Yes, and, and having that framework uh, as well to the how to ask questions and some of the A three, which for listeners who aren't as familiar with that, it's a it's a tool that was developed at Toyota. And A three is just the size of paper, but it really has a structured problem solving process to it. And Asao Yoshino, who Sean mentioned, is the subject of my book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. And has really helped bring that concept and he and John Shook out beyond Toyota to others as well. So we'll put the links to the book and more information there in the, in the show notes. And Sean, I, 
let's let's dive into this topic of asking questions. You know, this this is one of the biggest challenges that I see leaders, uh, and actually all of us as human beings, <laughs> with is like we want to help by giving the answer to be really effective of not and also making this shift from being this like expert problem solver either as a leader or as an operational excellence consultant or coach in an organization we have to do what i call break the telling habit and this is one of the things that you know i started working with the very first thing with Roche back seven years ago, all the site heads in, in Basel, and then continued to do some work with you and, and the team in Vacaville. So let's dive into like breaking the telling habit and the power of questions. How have you started to really break the t- your own telling habit? And what are some of the results or impact of that that you've seen with yourself and the teams that you're working with? Ultimately, you know, you often talk about starting with purpose, right? Like what is your purpose as a leader, as a person, why are you here on this earth? And actually, I often start my coaching engagements with anyone, no matter what level in the organization, with that kind of idea in mind. You know, if I ask myself, what is my purpose with this individual is I want them to develop, right? I want them to find their way through life, if you will, right? It's not about this particular problem or this job. And so when you start there, it becomes very clear that if you tell them, I know you teach us this idea that if you tell someone you're robbing them from learning, right? Uh, The ability to learn. And, you know, there is that continuum. I struggled with this quite a bit, right? Because as a leader or a manager, if you will, right, you have a responsibility, especially from a safety standpoint, maybe in our industry, a compliance standpoint, if you see something that is unsafe or not compliant, you have to stop it, right? You, and in that case, you're telling someone what to do. But on that spectrum or that continuum, uh, there's also a space for learning, development, and growth. And that's where asking the questions is very powerful. Uh, I had one coachy mentor, if you will. She was an employee in my chain who gave me some feedback at one point that no one had ever asked her what her purpose was. And that really hit home. Like, wow, this is powerful. You know, she didn't have an answer when I asked her, obviously, right? Uh, And she had to reflect on it and come back over several sessions to say, okay, I think this is is my purpose. And, And of course, there's tools and things we can do to explore that purpose with each individual. But that is very powerful when when you have almost that breakthrough because then the employee, and in this case, it's the person, if maybe that purpose is not aligned with what they're doing, then now they have, they can, it's a gap, right? They can work towards that. And, And whether it's development or whether it's a new role, maybe even a new role with a company. Uh, I had a former employee who, who ended up, taking a role in in HR outside of operational excellence once we explored that. So um, I thought that was that's kind of one of these key elements of asking the questions. And it is a habit, right? We absolutely have all this experience that we want to give people. But that experience that you have, you know, you learned it by experiencing it as opposed to by being told it. I I have another... Sensei, use the the lean term, right? Another lean teacher who taught me about uh, this idea of the Batari model, and and to me this was a fundamental shift in my lean thinking because this idea of culture and behaviors, behaviors are the things that we can see 
you know, above the surface. But behaviors are made up of all kinds of things, right? Our values and our beliefs, which are come from our experiences, right? And so that's how we shift organizational culture is we have a ton of new experiences, hopefully positive, because this can work in the negative as well. Uh, but if you have those experiences, behaviors change. And that's why leaders need to lead the way by being first. Uh, to me, those experiences like the questioning, right, having people think about their own purpose, uh, uh, use that example. I could tell them what their purpose was, but that would be silly, right? That it's individual to each person. And then they're also experiencing me in a different way as a leader in a different kind of context in that in that situation, right? And so that's also shifting the culture of the organization. Even if you think it's just one person, right? I'm just one person to one person. That seems like very slow, uh, but it has a lot of knock-on effects kind of downstream. Well, absolutely. And this is like really going back to this concept of a chain of learning, right? So it's maybe one person, but then they're going to impact someone else. And this is where it grows and amplifies and strengthens across an organization to really become this like mesh that's supporting, supporting each other. And going to that purpose too, you know, I found that if we ask people to really talk about purpose. You know, you've had you've had this experience in all the workshops we've done together um, at, at Genentech. You know, we have people draw their purpose and share their purpose and talk about it, the very same thing. There's such common themes. It's around people around them, their family, their community, coworkers, usually learning and growing, helping other people to do that. And and so when we can like kind of re-anchor on that, it just helps us remind ourselves about the humanity of of the of the role. And then leaders too, and, and, and you, you know, I've talked about this before, of leaders realizing your purpose isn't always to have the answer. It's about, as you said, really helping other people to learn how to get to that answer. And like that can like remind us to like stay out of our habit of, of telling as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's really stuck with me from a few years ago when we talked, we were doing some shared reflection on um, of our work together. And you made this comment that was like, well, this is really powerful, where you said that you feel like you, ha- you now have this leadership superpower and it's so simple. Um, I'd love for you to dive into that and share with everyone listening about your leadership superpower and how that came to be. And really, it is simple. It refers to a little bit about the asking questions versus telling. And then also uh, what you describe in your book that Isayo Yoshino talks about, right, is setting the direction, uh, providing support, and then ultimately developing self, right? And so when we ask leaders to be lean leaders, we often say that, and then it's it's just sort of ghostly, right? There's, okay, what does that mean? How is that different? I've spent my entire career being a telling leader, right? That's, that's typical command and control kind of leadership. So then what do you put in, you know, the standard work, if you will, behind that? And, and so it's as simple as that, providing that direction. That direction is not telling people what to do, but but a place to go, kind of a because I think people get stuck in that, right? If you they're like, oh, I can't tell. So now I'm just gonna sit there as a silent leader, right? Actually, you still have a lot of responsibility as a leader to guide the organization through coaching, right? And this this actually aligned really well with how. Roche as a company was asking leaders to behave. Uh, They were saying, you know, leaders needed to follow this idea of being visionary. They needed to architect the structure of the organization. They need to be a catalyst and be a coach. 
you know, sort of these things all aligned that, that in this case, from a superpower standpoint, right? Now I had clarity of what my purpose was because we we did a lot of work on that. And from that, I could go and still set direction, right? Still say, oh, we're going to Mars. Okay. But then instead of telling people, how do you get to Mars? I said, I could ask them in your particular work, what do we need to do to get to Mars, right? And obviously the answer is going to be different in different organizations. And we've started to build that into the way that we set up our strategy deployment as well. Because now as a leadership team, we're not telling people what to do. We're setting directions, specific directions or intentions, if you will. But then we're asking them, okay, you're in engineering. How do you get to Mars? You're in maintenance. How are you going to maintain what engineering is doing or whatever, right, as, a, as an example? And so the superpower is really that clarity of purpose, the intention of what it is to be a leader, to ask these questions. And then now a framework by which when I sit with with anyone. So I I now, I mean, people sometimes think it's insane, but I have, I don't know, 30, 35 people that I coach on a fairly regular basis from all levels of the organization. Clearly, I have a, an accountability with my peers on the leadership team. But, you know, I've got all the way down to manufacturing and QC technicians who somehow through the work you've done maybe, or, uh, you know, I'd sponsor this next gen group that they've also partnered with you. Uh, and so that's where some of these individuals come from, but clearly they find value in the conversations. A lot of those are like development type conversations, but again, it, it provides like a power, right? It makes it not easy to do the work, right? It's still, you still got to do the work, but it provides some clear framework that you can do that. I had the the opportunity to lead a couple of manufacturing groups, and that was you know quite a development challenge for me. All of a sudden, I had seventy people reporting to me on on you know four different shifts, twenty four hours a day, and this was the approach that I went in there. I said, well, okay, I'm not the expert, the process expert in this area, but I have my questions, so I can go in there and learn what these people are thinking. You know, what makes them tick, but then also how are they thinking about the organization, right? And you would think that would be the way that it should be, right? The people closest to the work, they know their work. How can someone who, you know, worked in manufacturing 20 years ago come in and say, oh, you should do it this way? That doesn't make much sense. And there's a great story there where I was coaching one of my supervisors who then took the learnings and started training his shift with this. And then one of the individuals on the shift was leading one of these lean improvement teams. And he was like, I want to use this approach with those individuals to grow them. So it really was the chain of learning and was very powerful because at, you know, at my direct report level, he was reflecting, he was using the tools, if you will. And then uh, one of his reports was doing the same. And I just happened to be coaching both of them so I could kind of see how well the supervisor was doing on that. And it wasn't about perfection, right? It was really about having those great conversations. And you could you could see both kind of spinning up and making progress because they were having that reinforcing impact and then also having the, the conversation with me, right? And, and very quickly, you know, my boss was like, what are you doing in that in that area? 
I was like, I don't know. I'm not doing anything. I'm just asking questions, right? And so that's where the kind of the superpower thing came from because this is fairly simple. Like, why isn't everyone doing it? Obviously, every leader has their own style, but for me, that that really worked uh, quite well and continues to work. Yeah, I love I love that story. I was so happy when you when you shared it with me. And one, it's great that you had this opportunity to be, you know, an operational excellence leader, but then also moving into an operational leader role and and how to apply those same skills and not knowing the context of the work. And I, I think a lot of leaders would feel like or in a new space that they need to come in and show that they know things or, you know, assert their knowledge versus assert their, you know, this is, I know this is where we need to go, but, but asking those questions and the, um, I guess, I don't know if humility is the right word, but just being able to sort of reframe for yourself what a quote unquote good leader means and that this is really is that superpower that that amplifies learning and results. I remember you also shared with me though that I if I recall this correctly that you had to be patient too and give them space to fail like you were setting out the you let them give space for what they thought the goals were going to be and what they first came back with it was something you were like oh I don't know if that's right but you're like I'm going to let them learn we're going to just do this in cycles. What was that experience like and maybe give a little more context if I'm <laughs> if I'm remembering that right. No, you, yeah, you remember it quite well and actually kind of forgotten about that story. Um, and it's a good anecdote to kind of talk about this because I would say it's a struggle to go from your telling habit, you know, it's up here, right? How do you set your intention? Uh, I, I look at that frequently to get out of your telling habit because it's a natural thing to come in and you're constantly almost making critiques of what's happening. Uh, and you have to come back to, okay, what is my intention here as a leader? That's right. I want them to grow. And sure, I could short circuit. It would be faster for me to tell them, no, that's not good enough. But in the situation of maybe setting goals or a development action, right, there's plenty of room. We have to remember there's room to grow and it takes a long time for this to, you know, even, right, if we were, if I, were, I was reflecting the day before our, our our conversation that I've been on this journey for seven plus years. That's quite a long time. And I would say, I don't feel like I'm a perfect leader, right? I have room to grow, but it's been kind of this intentional uh, journey. So kind of keeping that in mind and, you know, that particular uh, anecdote you're talking about was in a goal setting and I was trying to put on the set direction, provide support and develop self, right? And go through the process and say, okay, the leadership team still set the high level direction of the organization, but then it was up to each sub-organization to basically set the outcomes that they wanted for the year or for the quarter, I think is what we were doing it as. And the team at the time uh, had set a fairly low bar for what the activity was, but ultimately said, okay, it's, we'll, We'll learn from that. And I actually kind of forget the specifics of what the, the goal uh, language was. It's probably not that relevant for our conversation. But ultimately, at the end of the quarter, they realized that the goal they had set, I think it was actually now that, that I say it, was we want perfect operating equipment. But we were a manufacturing group, and it was actually the maintenance organization's accountability to have perfect equipment. So at the end of the 90-day cycle, 
They went, you know what? We didn't have accountability to drive that. They did a ton of great experimentation, right? They reached out to maintenance and, and tried to get better clarity about, you know, kind of the pain point that we were feeling in manufacturing. But the, the basic learning is they couldn't move the needle on that particular KPI because it wasn't theirs to, to own, basically, right? But it was a good opportunity to have questions and discussion about that. And, you know, and I think it brings up a good point is that you need to right size your learning cycles. In my own practice, you know, I mentioned the PDCA CADA process, because if you shrink them, you have multiple chances to learn. But if you go, I'm going to get better as a leader and make an entire year's sort of target, you only have one bite at that learning apple at the end of the year. So if you could, you know, set daily, weekly, monthly kind of targets, uh, you have more sort of learning opportunities, if you will, and then you can adjust. Right? So, so much rich learning in, in that. And I, I, you know, I, I really give kudos to you, Sean, for like, you know, I think a lot of people's first instinct would be they kind of know their team's kind of going off course and this wasn't their, you know, that it wasn't in their span of control for solving and jumped in and be like, no, 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 you can't like that. That's not the right target. But you gave them space to learn and experiment and discover. And I'm sure they're just like got so much better at improving and next time and also feel so empowered that you gave them that space. So I, I just love that example. Yeah, I must say, I remember having discussions with some of the colleagues who was helping with sort of this strategy deployment approach. We're like, I don't know, is this the right thing? So a lot of times you don't know if it's the right thing or not. But, you know, anyone who has kids also has to think about when do you let them fail? Sometimes you just need to. Yeah. Well, right. And that's, we want to help people by like rescuing them, but sometimes the helping is safely, like we don't want safety issues or, you know, uh, no goes to happen, but give them that space to fail and, and that time as well. I love that story. Sean, you were pointing out some of the things behind you. You have a picture of a Daruma from a, a workshop that, I, that I've that i had, a lot of other Japan souvenirs. My Daruma from Japan. A Daruma from when he came with me on Japan. Well, maybe that's a good segue Yashang and three others from Genentech joined me on my May 2019 cohort on my Japan study trip. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, why, why go to Japan to learn about continuous improvement and leadership? And there's so much, we could have a whole episode on this, but I'm just curious, like what, what for you as a lean leader, as a transformational change leader, what was the power of going to Japan and going to Japan on my trip? Ultimately, it felt like a, a trip of a lifetime from a lean practitioner standpoint, right? It's like going to the source, really going to the Gemba, right? Go and see for yourself where lean started. Uh, and I really liked the, the sort of following the Toyota value chain, as well as seeing some other companies. And like, what's the secret to, to this lean thing? How do they make it seem so easy? And I'd say one of my big takeaways, right, is we talked about coaching takes time to grow and build that whole conversation with someone. And the same thing from a lean standpoint is it it takes effort and time. And it's not like Toyota just, you know, overnight became a lean company. They've been doing that for 40, 50, 100 years. And so kind of the takeaway for me from the trip and, and something that you helped us explore is what artifacts of the lean culture are because of the Japanese culture. And then therefore, kind of my takeaway was, okay, how do we leverage the 
the key principles in our culture, not try and become Japanese, but what are the things that, say, in the culture of Genentech or the culture of Acavel or more broadly, um, are, are those cultural elements and then align lean to that? Um, because a lot of the things that we saw in Japanese culture have direct connections to how lean is practiced. But, you know, when we read the literature and we look at all the books, we don't see that at all. No one starts off with like, this is the Japanese culture. So this is why they do these things in, in the lean framework, right? We then see all these tools and we go, okay, I'm going to go and apply the tool piece of it. In many ways, maybe after going to Japan, I sort of like, okay, I'm going to calm down a little bit on some of the tool side. And actually, it shows up in my coaching. We talked about this briefly. But, you know, in a tool forward approach, you might come uh, to a bunch of leaders, do a training and say, you should all, this is telling, do leader standard work, right? And that's exactly what we did. And then you know, there's always the few that are like, okay, yes, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to create my leader standard work. Can you give me a template? Sure. Here's a template. First failure. And then from there, maybe three months later, there's almost no one using leader standard work because they don't have the sort of connection to the cultural elements, if you will. And the why isn't really clear, right? It's a tool. And so in the coaching side of things, I often start with what is your purpose? We explore, you know, why are they here on earth? And then as we get deeper into that conversation, it, you know, we talk about, if, especially if it's a leader, what is the culture that they're trying to create with their team or their department, depending on their level? And that might be a foreign concept to people. And But trying to expose also that how leaders act and behave is how people experience them. And therefore, that's the culture that you create. And so then, I mean, this has happened, I don't know, 30, 40 times, where then finally, after it takes three, four months, someone will come to me and say, okay, Sean, got my purpose. I know where I want to go, but I'm struggling to get it done. It's like, oh, you know what? I have this tool for you. It's called leader standard work. We're going to write down all those things, write down your intention, and then you have a way to check in on that, right? So that's one of those wasn't necessarily a direct learning from the trip to Japan, but it was after that where I started being like, oh, like it really is about the people. I mean, even Toyota, what's what's the quote, right? We make great people. We make people so that we can make cars. There you go. And so, you know, and that's like plastered all over the place. And that was kind of an aha as well that, yeah, we happen to make, you know, cancer saving drugs, but what we're doing is developing people, especially as leaders. And the, the manufacturing of the medicine is not secondary, but is the outcome of that great activity. Toyd also says, you know, great thinking, great products. So like by engaging people, leveraging their great thinking, that's how it's the it's the how, it's the way we're going to be able to make the cars or the cancer saving drugs. Um, we often have it backwards in our culture. We focus on like we need that result, but and maybe people are an afterthought. So I talked about this in past episodes too. So if you're listening, go back and listen. I'll, I'll link to some of those in, in the show notes as well. I want to point out too is that Sean is an amazing graphic notes artist, and uh, he has a visual summary of the trip from Japan also right behind him in his office underneath a picture of a Daruma. And I'll, I'll put a picture of that in the full episode show notes on my website because it's, really, it's really cool. 
Sean's skills <laughs> amaze me uh, in his ability to graphically represent, making it visual of you know key concepts and, and takeaways. I'm a visual learner, so a it helps me learn. But again, it, it comes back to the purpose. This is not art. This is about how to communicate in a simple way, and so that's part of I guess my purpose and my my approach to you know helping people see problems, right? And so oftentimes it's not, it can be an overused tool, but it is a a useful one sometimes. All right. Making it visual, making it visible. And there are many ways to do that and keep it simple, right? It doesn't have to be this whole elaborate thing. It's like going back to the drawing your purpose, or even when you're doing a, you know, a value stream map or draw what the problem is, like get it out, show it, show it visually. Cause sometimes the words, there, there are too many words and the visual can really synthesize it. And I just want to call it too that, you know, just for people who are listening, I, one of the key things about not all of Japan culture is the same as Toyota culture as well, too. So there are things they that Toyota really leveraged, but there are things they had to overcome, too. So this can work in whatever culture you're in, but there are knowing the history and like the sort of the reason behind it really provides that richness. And it all goes back to people. You know, the only secret to Toyota is its attitude towards learning, as I learned from um, Mr. Yoshino. So Sean, we could go on and on and talk about so many things like setting daily intention and reflection and how that's the source of learning. And we'll, we'll have to have another another talk conversation. But you know, if we're taught if you if you think back to you know yourself 10, 15 years ago, what advice would you give to yourself or you know other current listeners who are earlier in their careers and, and looking to make this change or this shift from being, you know, sort of our operational excellence doer to really a transformational change leader, making a real broad impact with changing culture. I already referenced sort of this Batari model that that I learned from William Botha. And to me, it it speaks to the why of lean, Uh, even that we kind of touched on it with, with Toyota a little bit there. In the space of culture, again, I started probably like many people with this very tool forward thing and even Kaizen is fun, right? We love solving problem, going out and having a workshop with a bunch of people. But once I learned that, I was like, oh, the whole point of having a Kaizen and many Kaizen is to have a high positive experience around problem solving and change. And when you have that in a team setting, right, you're growing and developing the people in that event. And they're depending on where they are in the organization, they're learning how to present in front of senior leaders. They had a positive ability to make a change, which maybe was bugging them in their day-to-day work. And it's that, not necessarily the problem solving, but the experience that they had that then gets codified into their values, let's say, uh, at work. And that shows up as a behavior, which is now if you do that a sufficient number of times, becomes the culture of the organization. And so similarly, if they experience leaders telling them what to do all the time, they're going to check their brains at the door when they walk in every day, and they're not going to think, right? And leaders are constantly saying, how do I engage my employees? And why aren't they thinking critically about problems? Well, that's because you, the leader, has been essentially brainwashing them and saying, okay, sir, I'm going to, or ma'am, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, right? And it's not intentional, but that's what's happening. And so telling my younger self again is 
if we as leaders show up in a different way, even one person can have quite a big impact on culture. Clearly, if you can get a majority of your leaders acting and behaving in this way, then you you accelerate those kinds of changes in the organization. And all of a sudden you have these engaged, happy people because you know, you're talking about development all the time. You're giving them projects that are focused on those things that they say they wanted to develop too. Obviously, your business, you have to do the businessy things and, and you can't just go off in every direction, but there are ways to intentionally build capabilities, grow your people. And so that's where, again, connecting to the, the learning to lead, leading to learn framework is very powerful. You still set direction. Then the support piece, that's where you're going to coach, ask the questions. And then you're also reflecting on your own, you're learning for yourself and saying, okay, what did I learn? Maybe I need to ask that question a little bit better, right? And it's not about beating yourself up that you're not perfect. It's a it's sort of that growth mindset. I know you had Carol DeWick on and, and I, I loved that episode. That was excellent because that's something I often think about too. It's It's when you often tell people that they don't have a growth mindset, it immediately puts up their hackles like, of course I do, right? Which is a fixed mindset. So it's kind of this funny recursive loop a little bit, right? And so the asking the questions is a way to open that learning and, and get people to think about it without telling them that they're wrong. Yeah. And that really circles back to some of the examples you gave earlier on this episode too. So that's great advice to me as the younger organizational change leader as well. So thank you so much, Sean. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, and I, it's been a pleasure partnering with you for over seven years now, and I look forward to to more. How can people get in touch with you if they're interested in reaching out or connecting or learning more about you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I also have a, a website called visualgemba.com. Either of those are good ways. Fantastic. Yeah, you can check out more of Sean's amazing graphic work there as well. He actually led a class that I was participated in. I learned a lot from Sean. So Sean is really a true, strong link in my chain of learning. And it was a pleasure to have you, Sean Carner, on the Chain of Learning podcast here today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Katie. Becoming a transformational change catalyst isn't a matter of gifting or luck. It's about strategically developing yourself towards that end. It's also about having the patience to lead that change in yourself and with the leaders you work with. If you haven't yet downloaded my Catalyst Change Leader Self-Assessment, go do so now. Links are in the show notes. And also go back and listen to episode nine of this podcast to learn more about each of the eight competencies in the Catalyst model. Go through the self-assessment to identify for yourself your areas of strength and where you need growth and support. Choose one area that you want to focus on. And then leverage the practice that Sean shared that has been transformational for him, setting daily intention and reflection and journaling it. Having people-centered learning cultures in today's complex, volatile world are even more essential than ever, as organizations are going through changes that are literally unprecedented since the pandemic, and more and more companies are working virtually and are in hybrid situations. What you offer as a transformational change leader isn't just a nice-to-have. It's mission critical that requires you to step up your influence game. To help you get on that journey, be sure to go download the Catalyst Self-Assessment. And you can also discover more about the Leading to Learn framework that has become the foundation of Sean's leadership superpower in my book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. 
I've also included links to other resources about how you can break the telling habit, about the leading to learn framework, and the Cautilus self-assessment, and other information about how you can effectively use some of the tools and techniques that Sean mentioned here, such as A3s and the Cauta questions, on the episode webpage, chainoflearning.com slash nine. And be sure to also check out some of the earlier episodes of Chain of Learning, where I talk about many of the concepts and practices Sean mentioned here that I helped him bring into his practice, including the purpose drawing exercise, which I talk about in episode four, and a daily reflection process and questions that I share in episode seven. And if you need support for yourself or your organization from someone like me to accelerate your leadership journey, I'd be happy to help. I love supporting change leaders like Sean and you to discover your leadership superpowers and amplify them across your organization to create a thriving, people-centered, and high-performing culture. You can learn more about my trusted advisor, coaching, and learning experiences and services on my website, kbjanderson.com. The link is also in the show notes. And I also invite you to come join me for the learning experience of a lifetime in Japan on one of my upcoming Japan study trips, just like Sean did in 2019. Hundreds of leaders from dozens of countries have joined me for an immersive week of learning, culture, delicious food, and connections that have forever impacted how they're leading change in their companies. It's an accelerator to becoming an even more effective change catalyst. When you come to Japan with me, you get curated insider access to diverse companies and unique cultural experiences that will revitalize your energy and deepen your knowledge of what it takes to create a successful culture of continuous improvement, innovation, and engagement. Our focus is on people, culture, and leadership, and each cohort is limited in enrollment to maximize the learning experience and discussions. Each program sells out far in advance. The next trip scheduled for this May 2024 is completely filled, and I'm actively taking applications for the next experience, this year, the week of November 10th. Enrollment is limited to 18 purpose-focused leaders, so don't hesitate if this has been on your leadership bucket list. You can learn more about the program and submit your application for an upcoming tour on my website, kbjanderson.com slash japantrip. The link is also in the show notes. So as we end this episode, remember, you too can easily have this simple leadership superpower and become a transformational change catalyst just like Sean. Step into your impact today. And be sure to follow or subscribe now to Chain of Learning and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can all strengthen our chain of learning together. Thanks for being a link in my chain of learning today. I'll see you next time. A quick reminder, if you enjoyed this show and want to elevate your leadership, don't miss out on the opportunity to join me in Japan in November for an immersive week of leadership learning, culture, and connections that will last a lifetime. I'm thrilled to be in Japan this week to lead the May 2024 cohort of my Japan study trips and can't wait to return in November, hopefully with you and maybe some of your leaders too. Limited spaces are still available, so submit your application today. kbjanderson.com slash japantrip.